to Reworking Talent, the podcast that tackles the top challenges in today's small business-focused talent market. I'm your host, Bren Scott, founder and CEO of Found Consulting, a growth-centered people operations and recruiting consultancy. We're here to give actionable advice to business leaders and aspiring business leaders, both on a personal and organizational scale. In this episode, we are tackling a big much talked about, often intimidating topic, diversity. And here to help us walk through the many nuances of incorporating a successful diversity program at your company, and also why that's so important, are Josh, Natalie, Nettie, and Michael from the premier diversity and inclusion consulting firm, Saderman Connect. Now, Obviously, we have a whole panel of amazing, amazing people. I uh, I, I would be remiss to not uh, introduce them individually. Uh, I will try to be brief, although that is difficult because they are so accomplished in everything that they've done and the diversity of experiences that they bring to their consulting practice. But I... I uh, here we go and uh, bear with me you all as I try to uh, condense your incredible background into just a few uh, sentences here. So first and foremost, Josh Saderman is the CEO and co-founder of Saderman Connect. He's also the co-author of the book, Arrive, Drive, Thrive. Josh partners with organizations, with leaders, as well as high potential talent through coaching, consulting, and also the development of custom learning solutions uh, that foster and enhance inclusive leadership and diversity and inclusion strategies within their organizations. And because this is the vein of um, exactly what we're talking about today, I want to mention everybody's dimensions of diversity. What makes them so diverse? Josh is married. He is a new father. Congratulations, Josh. He's Jewish, an avid world traveler. Uh, He's a fur baby, an elephant lover, a fan of football, and also a pepperoni pizza. So that puts us in the same camp. Uh, Josh, I I love that. Moving on, Natalie Spiro is the chief experience officer of Saderman Connect and has the wonderful job of designing engaging learning experiences that create lasting impressions. Now, Natalie brings together the Saderman team to ensure the facilitation of Saderman Connect Academies and also workshops to engage their clients in a really fun and interactive way uh, for all of these learning activities. Natalie's dimensions of diversity, she's divorced, currently single, hey, hey, Jewish and oldest child, originally born in Israel, but grew up in apartheid South Africa. She's a serial entrepreneur, a multiple passport holder, a global traveler and adventurer. Nettie Nitzberg is the chief learning officer of Saderman Connect with expertise in building learning and leadership programs, uh, as well as other talent development solutions that are innovative and scalable. Her work is engaging with the ultimate goal of developing and growing and uh, and building inclusive leaders, inclusive teams, inclusive individuals that are 
ultimately going to create work environments that uh, attract and retain top talent. Nettie's dimensions of diversity. She is a mom of two amazing women, a wife of over 30 years, a favorite aunt. I like that. Me too. Uh, a wine enthusiast, a party planner, a rescue dog lover, a people connector, and a city gardener. And last but certainly not least, Michael Saderman. Michael is the chief customer officer of Saderman Connect. He invites and leads productive conversations with executives, employees, and customers to understand their needs and also to help them recognize where they are in their organizational journey. And in turn, Michael identifies ways in which Saderman Connect can help guide and move them forward in creating these inclusive cultures where everyone in the company feels like they belong. Michael's dimensions of diversity. He's been married for two decades. He is the father of a very sweet, and I can confirm, very cute toddler. He is Jewish by culture. He is an uncoordinated athlete, an amateur baker, and a flailing stonemason. I feel like that could be a whole other podcast episode. So Josh, Nettie, Natalie, Michael, welcome. Thank you so, so much for being here. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Why should business leaders not only care about diversity, but invest in it? Um, I'll kick off because uh, our fabulous team has lots of different roles. So we're all four here because we we engage with organizations in lots of different ways. And just like we engage in different ways, that's the power of diversity. Diversity being a fact is all about the idea that not just diverse thoughts, but diverse learned and lived experiences allow companies to unpack and, and empower the idea of innovation, look at creativity, understand different reflections of populations that commerce is impacted by. And so whether you're thinking through the lens of client or patient or community, whether it's products or services, we can, we can really foster this idea that people are who drive business. And because people drive business, we want to make sure that organizations, businesses, whether they're large or small, understand the impact that people have on growing organizations. I'd like to just add to that, which is organizations should care about the inherent diversity in marketplaces because, in essence, they want to be able to serve them or sell to them. And if their organization, their leadership isn't a true reflection of the markets that they serve or the communities that they're involved in, they're working with perhaps one hand tied behind their back. They really may not fully understand all the ways in which they can engage that audience and the lived experiences of those audiences. So that's a reason to invest in it. Yeah, that's a great point. It ultimately helps the bottom line in a, in a lot of different ways from the employee perspective, the ROI there, but also from the client perspective, the customer perspective as well. Um, and it's an interesting thing that, that you bring up there about that, that bottom line, because as everyone knows, we're going through a really interesting econ economic time um, at the moment. And, and as a result, we're, we're hearing stories of this divestiture in, in DEI initiatives and, and these teams that were built out 
especially in, uh, you know, the great resignation time, I, I feel like a lot of companies were like, man, we've really got to uh, build out these departments and start bringing in these positions, people who are focusing on that. And now when uh, companies are a little more concerned about revenue and um, we're, we're seeing companies start to cut, make cuts specifically in DEI, specifically in HR programs. So what are you telling your clients um, who may see programs like this uh, DE&I programs, HR programs that support employees as easy targets when, when tightening the belt? First and foremost, the, the first question and the second question are connected. Uh, when we think about the word capitalism, and this is an ism, this is not to say this is gospel, but more guidance. But when we think about the word capitalism, um, a lot of folks today are, are thinking through the rhetoric of what's happening in a world around greed. The reality is, is that capitalism is really about growth. And so when we step back from the organizations that we serve and we look at what's, what's possible and what the potential is, so many organizations have an opportunity to connect more deeply with folks in their communities, or we call it marketplace, within their actual workforce itself and within the workplace. And businesses will go through periods of growth or decline. At the end of the day, though, what diversity, equity, inclusion is all about is this idea that fostering belonging and bringing full self to work allows actions and behaviors to lead to results. So for those companies going through reductions in workforce, you know, one of the things that we offer is to say, how do you do it with grace and transparency and explain why? Why are you pivoting in a business structure? Um, most folks understand that businesses ebb and flow. If you're in a period of growth, you should be continuing to think about what does the culture add that you're adding to an organization versus taking away from it. And so more directly to your question, the answer is, is that DEIB is not just the teams that lead DEI or DEINB, it's the entire organization. It's not a separate competency. And so how do you set up an organization where there are ambassadors that lead this through the office of, or through the area or function of DEINB and allow those competencies and tenants to be embedded in all the other competencies, tenants, and functions of the organization. And I, I know that Nettie has, Nettie has a lot of ideas on this as well. I'm just going to say, I've spent a lot of years in the HR field, and it's always like, let's go first to HR and cut. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that is first of, you know, <laughs> if you look at expenditures, we're going to cut HR, we're going to cut learning and development. And smart, smart companies don't do that. Mm -hmm. Smart companies realize they need to invest in their people, in their talent. And as we look at the different generations that are in the workplace or coming into the workplace, we're seeing more and more of this younger generation looking for companies that have DEI and B programs that are What's your ESG? What, what are you doing in that world? Looking for companies that are investing in their young employees. Obviously, they all want to be presidents tomorrow, but, you know, <laughs> really investing in your talent and making sure that talent comes from all different places. You know, like nobody wants a homogeneous organization any longer. You know, investors don't communities aren't looking for that hires you know new hires coming in it's really the mindset of 
what an organization looks like today and how an organization acts, especially because of COVID, has really, really changed what it looked like 10 years ago, even five years ago. So um, that's where I'm seeing companies that are realizing this need to invest in DEI and be invest in their their talent, invest in their company culture, making that change, making that shift, making that transformation. Mm. Natalie. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, Nettie. Thanks for that. I, I, you know, being kind of in the front line, I guess, is the experience officer of the company and, and dealing with different companies who have brought us in. And, and this is not a sales pitch, Bren, at all. We, you know, we, we just recently, um, Josh, myself, and another one of our faculty members just recently ran a DEIB charter for a company out on the East Coast. And they're at the very beginning of their journey um, in terms of in instituting and operationalizing DEIB principles and objectives and, and culture into the organization. And, you know, it was at the table were a variety of different people and they brought in primarily their, their leadership team, but then they brought in other individuals who, as Josh was saying, you know, might not be part of uh, a you know diversity council or anything of the sort because they don't have that yet um but brought in these people for their opinions and also to see how do we how do we kind of bring this through the organization to to impact culture because you know you you have to think that all inclusive leaders are you know all all, all the best leaders let's say are, are inclusive leaders mm-hmm. we don't be as, as something separate it's almost woven through everything that an organization does because if you're sitting in a boardroom you can have you know two white cisgender men named john and those two white cisgender men named john have multiple levels of dimensions of diversity so um diversity is vital you know in any organization and everybody needs to have that that place at the table that's such a great point the the fact that uh diversity is is not always visible it's not always apparent what what a what a great great point uh because i feel like that's that's forgotten a lot um in in uh, the the cultural the societal dialogue if you will but um you i i wanted to ask a question about uh cuz we just kind of talked about the great resignation and I am curious because I think one of the things that came out of the Great Resignation was that, uh, you know, employees weren't going to put up with corporate bad behavior anymore. They 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 wanted to go out and find a good culture, an inclusive culture. They wanted the work life balance, the flexibility, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now that things are shifting back to maybe a, a little bit more of an employer-driven market, do you think that employees are going to remember corporate bad behavior that we're starting to see again? Are they going to remember the next time it's an employee's market? Hmm. Uh, I'll kick off, and I, I still want to hear Nettie, Michael, and, and Natalie as they weigh in. This is a this is an interesting conversation because mm-hmm. a little bit of what you're talking about is power. Who has the power? And the reality is, we have to remember that uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. People will default to how do I pay my bills? How do I put food on the table? How do I pay bills? How do I do all that stuff? 
And I, I think that's, that's relevant because um, as organizations um, are thinking about how they get to growth, um, that's where elements like um, benefits come in. And I'll say the word balance comes in, you know, think about the hybrid work model, think about, right? So, so the, that, that's an intentionality that organizations take to be inclusive. So I would say I would say employers only have the upper hand if employees continue to stay at organizations that are uh, happy to reward bad behavior. And as hard as that is to mm. make that breakaway, what we learned in the Great Resignation is that first of all we're still experiencing it. I, I, as quickly as things are turning, three three yeah. and a half years ago, we didn't even talk about it. So we're still feeling the ripple effects of mental health in the workplace based on COVID. We're still feeling the ripples of hybrid workplace. We're still feeling the ripple sure. effects of people moved and changed jobs over 10 million people across the country, right? So we're still feeling that. That hasn't really ended. We're so quick to move to the next, but organizations are still feeling that through lenses like onboarding and tenure experience or legacy experience versus fresh eyes. Those dynamics are still playing out in the workplace. And so um, I, I would say anyone that's listening on this call and 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 certainly doesn't, um, doesn't want to put up with bad behavior, don't. Make, make, make the choice to get vocal, um, see what it looks like to, to, to push your organization forward. Everybody um, should have a voice, needs to have a voice. And if retaliation or bad behavior is what the organization is fostering, then that's a choice for you to decide whether or not that organization is the right organization for you. Um, but I, I would love to hear, I'd also love to hear, because I, I come across as very strong in this space because I'm a very big proponent that there's lots of opportunity in this amazing country when this country is focusing on being amazing and not being destructive. <laughs> and uh, and so I would say, you know, again, from that perspective of growth and what's possible and opportunity, um, you know, shoot, I know that we're looking, we're always looking for good people, right? And so what does that look like to make sure that you you find those organizations that that want you to be a part of their journey? Um, but certainly, certainly, Michael, Nettie, and Natalie have other experiences and and uh, exposures to clients and and partners and companies in different ways. Well, I, I love what you've said, Josh, but I also think there's another way to get there, which is we have a micro generation of talent that experienced COVID. They may have graduated and walk right into working in a remote environment. So for two or three years, that may be all they know. That creates quite an impression on our young people. I think the other intersection is the amount of people who stepped out of the workforce as perhaps the ongoing retirement of baby boomers. What I think we're walking into for the first time probably since World War II is less talent for the number of seats or the amount of need. So I don't know that the pendulum is fully swung back to being the power of leaders and managers. And certainly automation and AI is going to impact the number of jobs in the marketplace. Mm. But there's yeah. certainly going to be microclimates of business where employees are going to expect more respect. And I think the impact of 20 years of social media and socially native uh, employees have no trouble hopping on TikTok and shouting out 
when employers <laughs> are showing bad behavior and and making or asking for applicants to um, do a lot of work for just a job interview. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very curious. I don't think it's one thing or another, but there's a lot of elements that are at play here. And I'd say we're not going to know the impact for for a bit of time, um, even if there's some large recession around the corner, which who knows? Yeah, Michael, I think that's such a brilliant point as well. Um, I just wanted to add one thing to both Josh and Michael is that um, I think also employees inside of organizations from what we're seeing with the different companies we work with is that employees are actually pushing from a DIB lens to have their employers hire people who are, don't look exactly like them. And, and so I think there's, there, there's, a, there's a huge impact that employees have from, from inside of the organization as well. Yeah. Great uh, point. Great point. Great point. And speaking of, uh, speaking of that organizational pressure, I, I'm sure that you all have heard this time and time again, uh, because we hear it as as recruiters, we hear it all the time from our clients. Well, there just isn't any diverse talent in X. Um, you know that that excuse. Well, we can't hire diverse candidates because they just don't exist. Uh, what do you say to that? <laughs> um, so. I would say BS on that totally. <laughs> um, we, we're big proponents of really looking at the talent acquisition process around DEIMB. Mm-hmm. We actually have um, a registered trademark on a program called Beyond Boarding, which does exactly what you're talking about. It looks at pre-boarding. What are we doing to find those candidates? What does it look like during recruiting? What does our website look like? What are job descriptions looking like? And then how do we, with the hiring manager and the recruiter, really look at a diverse set of candidates? Like Mm -hmm. the recruiter needs to educate the hiring manager and the hiring manager needs to educate the recruiter. This is, these are the skills I'm looking for. This is not the person that's going to fill Susie's seat. This is what I need. This is what the my organization, my team needs. And, you know, there's so many people that are looking to make a shift in their job. Like, I want to try something different. Hmm. If we don't look at what their previous job was, but we look at the skill sets that person brings to the role their experience, their knowledge. It doesn't matter half the time if you have a college education or not, you know, unless you're in a very specific field that you need a PhD or you need to, you know, be a certified public accountant or an engineer. But I really think that, you know, blind resume review and just looking at what that what the candidates are bringing to the role helps to decrease who you're you're you know filtering out you know mm-hmm. oh that person's too old or look at they didn't go to college or they're from some town you've never heard of and you know one of the things again is you know as you said is is recruiters need to have that open mindset like need to say tell me 
you know, bring that out from the hiring manager. What are you looking for? What's the best person or skill sets or qualities not to bring into this job and, you know, the experience that you're looking for. There's been a few articles recently about blind resume reviews and redacting things that are going to kind of tell you about that person. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really think that that starts with, you know, the, the talent acquisition process. It also begins to with the job description and making sure that that job description is not biased. And so many times we see that, you know, looking for somebody with this many years of experience coming out of an Ivy League college, you know, you're just dismissing all these great people out there and you're, you're smiling. And I truly, I think you understand what I'm talking about. And then it's that hiring process too. How do you hire without bias? How do you leave your bias at the door and go into the interview being open-minded and asking the right questions and having a slate of interviewers who are asking different questions to get more to company culture, job fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as Josh mentioned, um, we want to look at job ad, not job fit. You know, what else can you bring as a person that's coming into high tech from, you know, a manufacturing environment? Right. So that's what, you know, we, we I want to say prophesize is not a good word, but that's <laughs> what we truly believe. Like we are true believers of, you know, it starts with talent acquisition. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as well too, it's like when you're, looking at the, the candidate and you're going, you know, through what everybody thought about that person, you know, it's take, try to take the bias as much as you can out of that, you know, like mm-hmm. by the questions you're asking and, you know, the hiring manager being just really open to listening and not giving their opinion, but just listening to what people, um, you know, bring to the forefront of that. So confirming what you're saying, Nettie, um, in the sense that like companies that, you know, obviously we all have bias. So as humans, we have bias, right? Do you like Coke or Pepsi? Just as a silly example. But um, really those companies that we work with that are really focusing in on the DIB space and they're authentically focusing in are looking for those people with with skills and competencies. Not They're not looking... Um, at, at, you know, who you are and where you come from and et cetera, et cetera. So it was just an interesting example of a company we worked with recently. And so names won't be mentioned, but one of the people at the company um, actually shared a story and said that th- this, this person's been at the company 10 years. And when they first applied at the company, um, they did not include the fact that they had a master's degree for fear that they would not be getting a job. And that's kind of a shocking story, but real. Um, yeah. and, and it's now 10 years later, and only now do the leaders of the company know that this person actually has a master's degree. So that that's pretty shocking. Um, but so the people who are authentically focusing in on the DIB space will definitely understand that bias. Can I, can I, just, can I just add to that really, really quickly, just to, to give another lens to that story, 
is the why this person didn't feel comfortable is they were applying for a job that was more in the build phase, not in the senior leadership phase. Mm. When they then entered in three, four, five, six, eight years later and were ready to take on that bigger job, that job required a master's. So they downplayed who they were to get the job and get the foot in the door. And then they had to justify and explain why they didn't tell anybody they had it in order to be qualified for the quote, quote unquote qualified for the more senior job, which they had the years of experience. They had the masters, they did the work. So they were not bringing their full selves to work both in the entry level phase, as well as in the leadership phase. And think of all those years of lost voice, lost perspective. And so what Nettie and Natalie have just shared is super powerful because it does talk to that culture ad. Nets. Mm. Yeah, I wanna add one more thing because I've worked with a lot of people over the years in helping to write resumes. One of the things that I recommend when somebody's looking for a job is to do a skills resume versus a job resume. Mm. Because this way, when you are looking for a job and you start reading the job descriptions, you can sell your skills and competencies. It doesn't need to be the role that you played before. So especially if someone is looking to change industries by look and even a young person coming into the marketplace who's done internships or maybe they've worked at camps and they've been, you know, the head of the waterfront and they've had they built those leadership skills or they were very involved in their church or a youth group. Those are really important to highlight on a resume that also have some helps somebody look at you from a very, very different perspective than what jobs you've had chronologically. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to add that piece. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's, uh, it's so true. I, I mean, working, working uh, on this side of recruiting, sort of kind of a, an outside recruiter, recruiter um, it's always a little bit tricky, right? Because yeah, you've got clients who have their own bias about job titles, companies, years of experience, that type of thing. Uh, and then you have these amazing conversations with people who don't fit that mold. Uh, but I, I think that that's also the beauty of uh, being um, an outside recruiter as well is, is the fact that you can have those conversations and understand why their experience is perfect, why it is relevant and make those introductions and, and be able to, you know, summarize the why. Um, so yeah, totally, totally agree with, with everyone there. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to, there are several points throughout this conversation where I wanted <laughs> well, to say. Our, our team is just a little, to your point that Brent, our, our, our team is a little passionate about this, not to interrupt <laughs> you, but just to have a humor moment. We're no. just a little passionate about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm like, amen. Hallelujah. I, 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 uh, if we were on, on video, I'd be uh, jumping up and down out of my chair, uh, my hands in the air. So um, so getting back to the, the leadership question, um, there is still a, a lack of diversity in, in corporate leadership. Um, so how can companies take strides toward getting more diverse talent in the boardroom um, and, and that's from the perspective of, of, because we, we've all heard the horror stories of, I was, 
I'm a, a cisgendered woman. I was hired as the chief of X and I got into the boardroom and I realized that I was the token hire and they didn't listen to me. So how can companies make meaningful steps toward bringing diversity into these very important leadership positions? <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, again, such a, such a brilliant question, such a broad question. I, I, I would say um, lots of ways to look at this. First and foremost, again, not, not a shameless plug, but again, we'll talk about the book that we wrote, which is Arrive, Drive, Thrive. And, and we wrote this book as an organization because you arrive in, in, in essence as this individual, you drive as a team and you thrive as an organization. And part of what Nettie and Natalie and Michael lead us on is this idea that leadership is not reserved for the C-suite. Mm -hmm. Leadership is not exclusive to the C-suite, that there are far more people out there that are sitting in positions of power, even where they don't realize it, that are sitting in the emerging, existing leadership ranks, so to speak, if we look at the lens of hierarchy or power structure. And it's really about thinking about succession planning. So if you're a company that says, I feel tokenized, or you're a human that says, I feel tokenized in this role, um, seed for the future, find ways to be a sponsor, find ways to create advocacy and allyship. If you're sitting in that emerging leader seat and you're arriving and starting to drive and you're, you're growing in this career, and again, it's not limited to age, it's not limited to generation, it's not limited to industry, but if you're sitting in one of those seats that you know that 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to be the future, you know, be that person in the room that doesn't learn the bad behavior. Be that person in the room that learns how to lead through the lens of inclusion and belonging and celebrating diversity and equity and offering fairness through the lens of equity to empower and to advocate and to create sponsorship throughout. Um, so I, I, I would say that this, is, this, is, this doesn't have to be tomorrow a tsunami. This can be a ripple effect. And that's what we want is we want all these really good ripple effects to start taking effect. So we start to turn the tide and, and create impactful, inclusive leaders for the long haul. Um, so I, I, I would start that way, but I'd love to hear Nettie or Natalie or Michael add to that. I think of the variety of prospects and clients I talk to and how many of them, even if they are one of the few voices in an organization that is not embracing inclusive behavior um, and is trying to hold on to power, acknowledge that the future growth of their organization requires for those leaders to let go of a tight grasp. Mm -hmm. And it's critical for them to understand that if their goal is to hold on to power, it's a race to the bottom. That, you know, merely being compliant with the letter of the law and, you know, trying to be equitable may not necessarily allow them to reimagine what the future of their business might be the future of their industry might be or where their organization needs to go to not only survive, but thrive. Mm, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking too, because, you know, I'm the chief learning officer. So of course I'm always coming in from an HR L and D perspective, but I think it's also the business needs to look at what they're doing to build leaders internally. Mm. What kind of programs are they offering? Making sure that a, diverse group of employees get to participate in this. 
Um, we have a client right now that we're working with who's recognized that, you know, women are not getting as much opportunity in their organization as they should be, and they're being overlooked. And, you know, we're talking to them about like what kind of, as I think Josh mentioned earlier, emerging or new leader, you know, programs do they have? What kind of mentoring programs? What are you offering as stretch assignments? What are you offering as potential internships within the organization or rotation programs? And I think that a company needs to look at that as well in terms of building their leadership and succession planning and doing that, you know, as new people come in, you know, in this day and age, you don't have to go the management route. You can go horizontally and work in different departments and develop different skill sets. You could take a deep dive into an area that you're super passionate about. So there's a variety of different trajectories for career. But as we said, everybody is a leader. You know, you might be on a project, you might be working on a team, you might be, you know, a new person comes on board and you're responsible for helping them to transition and assimilate. You know, I think that everybody needs to think about what is my role as a leader in this organization and what I'm doing and how I'm thinking and how I'm functioning and building those skill sets in doing that. I'm, I'm just going to add one thing over here from the kind of customer facing side. Um, that is that is the work we do and, and the work that we do in terms of the D in, in terms of DRBs to really get people to understand, become aware, and start to change behavior around, you know, bringing in new blood into the into the boardroom, so to speak, into the, the leadership teams. And it's not only around gender and race, which is what typically most people focus on. It's, it's all the dimensions of diversity, right? Consider all those dimensions of diversity. I also know I come from, you know, I grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, in an apartheid South Africa, and was there for the breakdown of apartheid. And all I can say, having lived, that, that was kind of my lived and learned experience, things definitely take time. And it's going to take that time. But I think that the companies that are really authentically focusing in this arena are starting to think about that as a, as 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 a as as a definite place they have to move into they know it's 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 a necessity yeah i'll just share one other thing to just sort of wrap up this this particular question um is is companies that want to do better organizations that want to do better think differently about uh about different ways to say yes and Mm. or the po the possibilities include we spend a lot of time talking about growth versus fixed mindset so a, a nod to carol dweck and the work that she leads and, and and certainly a nod to the work that many folks lead including us around emotional intelligence and natalie leads our efforts there and the reason for emotional intelligence is it's a muscle you can build it's a muscle you can become aware of so there's there's no limit to growth mindset you can be 60 years old you can be sitting in the boardroom today and you can look back and don't don't think it, you know, for any of them, anyone that feels bad, don't feel bad, feel uplifted, feel like I was on this journey and I spent 30 years building my career and I have the choice to do better. I have the choice to grow. I have the choice to learn. 
the name of this game is not to make people feel bad. It's not about deficit. It's about growth. It's about learning. It's about expanding your mindset. It's about thinking about the ways that the world has evolved and evolved is the word we use, not change. Change is happening every day around us. How you choose to transition, evolve and grow, that's human choice, that's human emotion, that's power, that's leadership. So as much as I sound preachy and, I, and I'm happy to be on my soapbox, I'm happy to scream about this from the rooftops because I don't want anybody on this call to feel like because they are of a blank, of a gender, of a race, of a generation, of a power, of a hierarchy, of, a, of an experience that they can't step back and learn and grow. And, and we're all on that journey. No one's looking for perfection. At least we're not. We're not preaching perfection. What we're preaching is getting better every day. Mm. Yeah. And to that end, I, I, so our, a lot of our listeners are, are small business leaders. And so I, I'm, I'm sure I often feel like we we have great conversations like this on this podcast and the small business leaders are like, yes, yes, all the way, but I have really limited resources. What can I do? So what are y'all's top tips for a, a small business leader who has very, very limited resources, but really is, is striving to do better uh, striving to grow in the areas of DEI and B. Um, I'll, I'll kick off by saying, and I, I certainly want Michael to weigh in here because he's our front line in terms of working with clients of all different kinds of X. Um, mm -hmm. I worked in retail for many, many years. I worked in retail for a long time and, and I, I wore lots of different kinds of clothes and I had the ability to fly to Paris and Milan and, and Tokyo and do all sorts of fun things that come with privilege. Um, and, and then at the same time, I loved my H&M, I loved my Zara, I loved my Old Navy. And, and so people say, oh my gosh, where'd you get that outfit? And I would say, oh, I got it at this very exclusive place called Old Navy. <laughs> it's not, it, you know, quality is not defined by dollars. Quality mm -hmm. is defined by intention. It's defined by communication. It's defined by transparency. It's defined by living your values. So the work that we do is, is not defined by how much dollars we sell. Of course, we're in business. Of course, we want to make money. The other side to it, though, is, is, is taking a step forward is still taking a step forward. Mm -hmm. So whether your budget is 2000 20000 or 200000 right, be, be intentional to say, you know, not, not yes, but, but yes, and. Here's my budget. Here's my intentions. Here's what I want to do. And those companies like ours that are in this space, because we believe in getting better every day, we're going to find those programs, those tools, those resources to at least start getting to impact. And that's, that's what, again, growth is about, is then those small companies become mid-sized companies. Then even better in the foundation, the, the intentionality of professional and learning development. And then as a result of that, you're creating that ripple effect. You're creating that wave. So don't, don't, don't stop your flow. Don't stop that, that great energy because you feel limited. Um, look at how your resources can work for you and work with great companies that are willing to, to put your resources to work and make a quarter look like a dollar. Hmm. I just want to add to that, Josh, because it's a, you know, as, as these companies say, yes, and we, and I'm going to turn to you, Michael, after this, but we, we say we can if. So it's the yes and and we can if, right? And that's how uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of, it's possible. 
I just I just want to before Michael goes, I just I have to give a plug because I learned the what if from Jill Katz and she runs Assemble HR. And we we feel very very I want to honor that because I, I I use that sometimes because I honor Jill and, and many other leaders that have come before us that inspire us. We learn from each other. We're in this together. We're in this to grow. Um, and so I love that Natalie said that I would be remiss if I didn't give honor and, and integrity to to Jill who, who 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 educated me on the idea of we can if. Well, there's always that world of possibility, Josh. You know, we the behaviors that others showcase is what gives us permission to do whatever we do in our business, but it also allows us to learn and grow. And I think for a lot of the small businesses that are often um, personality led at first, right, by a founder in some way, shape, or form, how they grew up and how they see the world can shape the behaviors and the leadership philosophy within that organization. I remember talking to a smaller prospect, um, which still may be a big, small business of 140 people. And they were very proud to share that seven languages were spoken among their organization. So you're never too small to start thinking about what does diversity look like? And that even if your team can fit in a relatively small room or office, look around and figure out in what ways are you all different in what ways are there various dimensions of diversity and start story sharing so you can start to learn about each other, right? There may be things that you may envision you're all of the same generation or it appears you're all of the same race, creed or color. But then as you really start to talk about it, your worldview is very vast and that can help lead to and spur innovation. And that can be a starting point for a small business to understand where inclusion is just acknowledging the diversity that already exists. Oh, man. Another beautiful answer uh, to, to end on. So last question for you all. What is going on at Saterman Connect that you're so, so excited about? What's on the what's in the near future for you all? Oh, let's do a round robin. Let's let's start. Maybe Nettie or Nat, you want to kick it off? I'll, I'll, and I'll just say I'm super, super excited. We run these amazing leadership academies for companies, mm. for, for people who are, you know, emerging leaders, middle managers, senior leaders, um, just really excited about those uh, academies, which are, you know, anywhere between four months to nine months um, with heaps of different types of skills that, that we we coach on and and facilitate. So just very excited about those. Ping to Nettie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, the, I'm the instructional designer. I'm creating the programs. And I have to say, I am thrilled about the curricula that we have developed around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We just continue to add programs. We have an academy called The Power of Language. We talk about um, building awareness, awareness. We talk about dimensions of diversity, uh, micro messaging, micro affirmations. We just recently launched another program around cultural humility, which is a great baseline for companies really starting on that journey and really recognizing people need to be curious and open and ask questions. So those would be a couple of the things that I'm really excited about as well. Nice. I Michael? would, yeah, I would add to that just this world of possibilities and how proud I am of our team into leaning into every question 
that prospects and clients ask of us. They ask us to help them reimagine their future, even if it's incremental. Uh, and so many organizations are trying to find ways to engage and find alignment. In fact, our charter work around team alignment, as well as just the concept of diversity and inclusion alignment, what could that mean for the organization is extremely powerful. And so many organizations are using that as a stepping stone to drive their organizational or business unit strategies. Yeah, I, I have to share two things. Um, first and foremost, uh, I'm grateful for our team. I think our team is just quite special. So what's happening at Saderman Connect is we are investing in ourselves and, and thinking about the ways that we show up as leaders, which I think is brilliant. And then the other side to it is we invest in our community and we think about the people that we can also support and serve as allies, serve as advocates. I think of Mita Malik and her new book coming out in October called Reimagine Inclusion. It's debunking the 13 myths that will transform your workplace. I think of, I talked about Jill Katz and her hashtag candor, courage, and care. Um, I think about the work that James Barnes is doing as the trans coach who you should totally follow on Instagram. I think about Irene Brank and the work she does to lift up moms and working parents and parents of trans children. And I think, I think that's what this work is about, is what Saderman Connect is, is, is all of these amazing initiatives and tools to support organizations and in partnership and concert with so many great folks that are out there in the community. And, 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 and that's, that's what Ubuntu is. That's what our values are about, is we are who we are because of those around us. Oh. So great. How exciting for you all. I, I, uh, I'm so honored that, uh, that you came on, um, reworking talent to, to chat with us. I feel inspired. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go out and, and, uh, set the world on fire. Like, uh, I thank you so, so much. Um, yeah, Josh, Nettie, Natalie, Michael, it's been so great to chat with you. Thank you for sharing your perspectives. Uh, and I really, really feel like a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are going to glean a ton from this conversation. So thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you for, for having, having us. us. <laughs> and check Appreciate us out. It. Check us out at SatermanConnect.com. Check us out at SatermanConnect.com. We'd love to hear your feedback and uh, what we can do in this space. So uh, thank you, Bren, for all your time. Thank we you. appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening. We are so, so excited for our episode next month as well. We are having a conversation about Gen Z. Speaking of diversity, the big, big topic of Gen Z from someone who knows a uh, industry leader whose marketing agency and data agency focuses specifically on Gen Z. So please, please tune in next month for that conversation and for the rest of the conversations that we have lined up through the rest of the year. Thank you for listening. Thanks for sticking with us on Reworking Talent.